How many have had a lot of excitement building up in their home? Let me see a raise of hands if that has been going on. Okay, that is definitely true in our home. I hope there's a sense of that tonight here in this place. We're thrilled that, that you chose to, to make coming to church and being with God's people just a, just a part of your Christmas Eve. So it's, it's good to have you. If you have a Bible with you, uh, I'd invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 4 tonight. And we're going to spend just a little bit of time looking at God's Word and appreciate one of our high schoolers reading a bit of the Christmas story. Um, I hope that's a part of your tradition is that you read uh, the Christmas story. I know that our kids always find that scripture reading one of the longest of the year. No matter how many verses we read, it just feels long on Christmas when we're reading it because we usually do it before gifts. I don't know about you, but I just love lights uh, this time of year, and we've already been as much as we can in California. Don't you love California? We dress up for winter, uh, but it's not really winter like other people experience winter right now, but, but we did have to put on long pants uh, and a light sweatshirt as we went out in the evening to go look at lights and cruise around, and we just love checking things out and seeing the, the way people decorate their house and just kind of the warm feeling of that. I have great memories of that. As you go around and, and feel the warmth of Christmas, though, and experience lights and enjoy all of that, there's, a, there's another side to Christmas that's kind of going on, and uh, some of you have been experiencing that, and we're going to be honest here tonight and talk about both sides of Christmas, because the Bible's a really honest book, and God's spoken about kind of the bah humbug spirit that can accompany a season like this. As much as the lights and the warmth and the glitter and remembering what it's all about. A few years ago, my wife and I were afforded an opportunity to get away on a date sometime near Christmas. And we happened to be in the neighborhood of, uh, of one of our siblings and their spouses. And so we made this impromptu decision. We're prone to do something like this. Where we just decided to swing by. We knew they were home and we thought we'd go Christmas caroling to them. Just the two of us. So we decide to go there. It's probably 9.30 at night or so, and their street is silent. It's been a silent night, and they're sitting there, and we're on the porch, and we start singing. And we're a little timid at first, but, but not really. Uh, so we start singing, and, and there's no answer of the door, and, and we're kind of going on. And I had started it in a little bit too high of a key, which is a you know, bad thing for a worship leader to do, but I did that. So when they didn't come by the end of the first verse... We had to, we, we, we decided, we're really at that option. We had, you know, we, we could have stopped altogether, right, and, 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 and slunk away and, and ended in defeat. Well, we weren't going to start off the Christmas season with defeat. Jesus came to give us victory. So we said, we're going we're gonna to press on. We're going to persevere. So we kicked it up a key, you know, a, a, a key, and we're belting with all of our might on this quiet night. And seriously, their porch was like an acoustic studio blasting it to, to the neighbors. And finally, finally they come and answer the door. And unbeknownst to us, here's what was going on inside. So here you have Christmas cheer being brought by close kin, wanting to bring happiness. Here's what went on inside. Inside, mom and dad are arguing. The kids are bickering. The whole family's in kind of a pre-Christmas fight. I don't know if you've ever done this, but this is what's going on. And as soon as they heard us singing, here's what, here's what mom said. Oh, carolers! Isn't that awesome? That's the other side of Christmas! And, uh, and it was so comical that it was us, because she goes, man, we thought these people are so persistent, we better go out and just appease them, and it was just the two of us. So, if we show up at your door, we're not going away! 
The Carlsons will stay there and, and press on. There's kind of the what of Christmas that's talked about a lot at this time of year. And, and people, people talk about all the different components of Christmas and all that and tell the Christmas story and dramatize it. Our five-year-old two nights ago was praying. And, uh, and as she prayed just kind of for our meal in the evening, she prayed, she prayed for Joseph and Mary that they would be, uh, that they'd be good wise men. She was praying for Jesus that he'd find the star. I mean, it was just great because she was, you know, putting the components there together and we just as a family joined in in with that. And it reminded me of people, you know, if you go and start talking to people about the Christmas story, depending on their church background, um, most people in America will be able to kind of put the pieces together, right? And they'll kind of think through the nativity scene, they'll think through the different pieces, and they'll say, yeah, there were shepherds, there were, you know, lowing cattle, I think, I think there was a star, and they'll kind of put the, the, the pieces together. But if we miss out on the why of Christmas, so that's kind of the, 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 the what of Christmas, if we miss out on on the why uh, of Christmas, then what happens is there's potential for the Christmas story to be trivialized, isn't there? So in other words, we know the story, we know the, the pieces of it, but much like our nativity scene that we might pull out, it kind of gets dusted off, set out on a table somewhere, but has no real relevance in our life. It has no real permanence. It bears no weight in the middle of July when things are either unraveling or going wonderful. And so tonight, what I want to do is, is just kind of direct our attention, um, not so much to the what. We had a little reading of the what of the story. And if you don't know the what of the story, find someone who does or read it in scriptures. It's marvelous. But we really want to land on the, the why of, of the season and look at that. It's often a mystery to people when you say, why did Jesus come? I think the what, you could get similar answers, but the why of Jesus come, I think you'll get a lot of variety in that. Now, unless God tells us what he is like, literally, we are in the dark about God. I mean, your guess is as good as mine. And we're just reaching to find out what God is like. So unless God tells us, this is what I'm like, we're in the dark, God does better than tell us. And this is the point of Christmas, is that he shows up. God shows up in the form of a person and dwells amongst us. Now, the humble circumstances, the obscurity of the event. The reality is that most people of that day missed the gift of Christmas. It went right by them. I was speaking with someone earlier today, and he just pointed out how the hustle and bustle of today isn't that much different than the hustle and bustle of Bethlehem so long ago. There was a census going on. People were thinking about conducting business. They were making preparations of who was going to stay where and probably complaining about the traffic on some level. Not that different. I was walking around looking at lights like I mentioned earlier, and this is a house that's not far from me, right around the corner from my house. And this house is kind of a metaphor of the Christmas season. You see, right in the middle of this lawn, of all these things, all these things twinkling, all these things kind of clamoring for our attention, right in there is the Christmas story. Tucked away. Now, you have to kind of look for it. It's about three-quarters of the way back, and if you're not tall enough, you can't quite have the vantage point to see Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus. Kind of a metaphor for today. Now, Jesus, as he gets older and starts his ministry, which is where we're going to pick our story up in Matthew chapter 4, repeatedly claimed to be here on this earth on a mission, and he repeatedly claimed to be God. Now, according to my count and how I kind of counted it, just in the Gospel of John alone, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four different writers writing about the birth, life, 
ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Just in the Gospel of John alone, 39 times Jesus is referencing his mission and the fact that he was God. Ultimately, it's what got him killed, is his assertion that he was God. And yet, while on the earth, even those who were closest to him were in the dark much of the time, right? It's the fumbling, bumbling disciple show. I mean, they're there, they're right next to what he's doing. He's telling the parables. He's actually explaining the parables to them behind closed doors. He's walking them through things. But like us, it only makes sense in reverse after the resurrection. After he goes away, they think back on the things he says. and says, man, we were right there and we missed it. We can be really, really close to what's going on, to what God's about and miss it. Not experiencing it for ourselves. Matthew chapter 4. If you have a Bible, follow along with me. Make sure I'm not making this up. Verse 12 says this. Now when he had heard that John, I was talking about John the Baptist, had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, this is why this is part of the Christmas story. I basically picked it up from his birth, and then there's a relatively large gap to where he begins his public ministry, and that's what I'm doing right now, is, is moving to that gap here in Matthew chapter 4. Now, Matthew spends roughly three chapters accounting for the lineage of Jesus Christ, showing whose father and mother he came from. And then not only that, but also the birth of John the Baptist, the one who would prepare the way, and finally the start of his ministry. Now, all the way up into chapter 4, he points out this ancient prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9. And he takes it and he applies it to Jesus Christ. He says, this Jesus, this is the one who fulfills this prophecy. Now, here's the importance of that. Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience. So as a good Jew, as a person of God, as the kingdom of Israel, what you know is you know the prophecies. You know the story. You know that there is coming a Savior who is going to dawn on these dark days that we live in. So when Matthew takes the story, picks it up, and mentions specifically places like Galilee, by the sea, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, what he's saying is this prophecy that applies to Messiah, it's on this Jesus that we speak of. So, so it sheds light on and it explodes on the story. This is the one who we're talking about. It makes this noteworthy. It makes it newsworthy because of these details of the prophecy. So in answer to why did Jesus come, I'm going to give you just a couple of things. One is this, because there truly was night before Christmas. There was darkness. We just saw this in the scripture, that there's people dwelling in darkness and that they are dwelling in the region and shadow of death. Now think about the Israelites just for a minute. I don't know how well you know your Old Testament history, 
But the people of Israel are well acquainted with darkness. They're well acquainted with the region of death. In fact, really much of their history and their family tree was spent in slavery and ill treatment and wandering. And so when you mention to the Israelites in this day and age to a Jewish audience that people were dwelling in darkness, they say, oh, we, we get that. We understand that quite well. How about us? What's the darkness that we experience? Is there darkness on the land here in the Silicon Valley? One of the wealthiest places on earth. We're, we're, we're in fact one of the people groups in all of history who have access to more than almost anyone who's ever lived. And yet, don't you look around and see some darkness? Well, let, me, let me just throw out a couple of uh, giant categories that maybe you've seen some darkness. There's relational darkness. Now, some of you are about to go have a meal tonight or tomorrow, and you might be sitting in this very church with people where there's relational struggle. And the, the refrain of, can't we just get along, has been debated and dialogued and sought after year after year. And the answer seems to keep creeping back. It sure doesn't seem like it. It's sure a struggle. And then even if you're really wanting to get along and you're really struggling for that, there's relational darkness. Every guy and girl who are dating or married should be saying, yes, there is. Because there just is. There's confusion between couples. There's confusion between friends. You said this, I thought you meant that. There's darkness over that. Relational darkness is one example. When things are great in a relationship, when you're really at peace with your family and your neighbors and your co-workers, there's another kind of darkness that's kind of looming. It's kind of there in the background, and, and it rears its ugly head. Some of you have had to deal with this here in 2011. Some of you better brace yourself, because time's short. We don't know what's coming next year. But that is that there's this looming enemy of death. There's a looming sickness that's upon us. There's a curse on this world, the Bible says explicitly, and our experience bears that out. The physical darkness we experience of health and safety and our own comfort or discomfort, there's a darkness that kind of looms there. I could go on with finances and circumstances and other kinds of things, uh, but let me just point out the spiritual darkness that hangs over our nation. There's a clear epidemic going on of spiritual darkness, not just on the USA, but around the world. And the Bible says it plainly and simply that naturally we are born spiritually dark. We're naturally born veering away from God, stumbling our way through life. And it leads to hopelessness. There's a hopelessness in how to change. And what we've come to realize, some of you have come to realize it quicker than others because you've been at it, is that more religion, more ritual doesn't change you. You fight for that. You struggle for that. You try to be a good person. And there's this pull going back to what the scriptures call the flesh. It's your natural bent. If, if ritual and religion saved you, let me tell you this. The Israelites would have been saved by their law-keeping by their ritual. In fact, as a nation, they were legendary amongst other nations for their rule-keeping, for their memorization, for their discipline that they did. And yet the Bible repeatedly says this, the law that was given to the people of God was actually like a giant neon flashing sign pointing to this fact, you cannot live up to the law. According to God's law, you're all guilty. 
We're all guilty. If you break one aspect of the law, you're a lawbreaker. And so what the law was meant to do, over and over, this is implicated in the, in the Old Testament and said explicitly in the New Testament, is point out everyone's need for a Savior, one who would come and live a perfect life and fulfill the law. Now, I don't need to leave this in kind of a giant idea theological realm. You guys have been out in the city of San Jose and the surrounding communities as well. You've seen this darkness. Here's a little bit of a lighthearted look at something. I was at Target not long ago, a dangerous place this time of year. I promise you, you just have to be on your guard. Um, so we pull in, we got our parking spot, we're unloading our kids. This whole process takes roughly 27 minutes. We're, we're timing it. And as we're trying to safely navigate to get in, there's a parking spot that opens up. And much like the National Geographic Channel, which we watch often, where vultures come in and there's fighting and people are you know, going after a carcass, the parking spot is kind of the carcass. This, this person comes ripping into a parking spot, jumps out of the car, and, and makes her way into the store. Here's how she parked. Now, um, now this was dangerous on multiple levels. There was, a, there was an employee coming with carts that, that she almost nailed coming in. I don't know if you can see the lines, but she couldn't either, if you can't. Um, <laughs> And what's great is up in the right corner, it says security cameras are in use. So, so someone's got video of this person uh, jetting in here with no concern for her fellow mankind, right? Just, just whipping in here and doing what she needed to do and get on with her life. Now, either way, this works. Maybe she's just a bad driver. That's evidence of the curse, right? It really is. It's just darkness in her driving ability. But maybe it's that she's a decent driver and she's just not very considerate. Either way, there's darkness here, right? I mean, it's just, there's a layer there that says something's a little bit broken. That wasn't putting someone else's needs above my own. Now, this hits even closer than, than people out there in our own home. Let me give you another uh, somewhat lighthearted example of this. We have a, um, gosh, i got to remember the ages now. I think it's now 17-month-old in our house. Our 17-month-old is very keen on doing something that we're going to repeatedly work her out of until she breaks this habit. When people come over to visit us and, and say hello or whatever, as soon as they go to, to, to leave, here's what our 17-month-old does. She's usually in the, in the arms of my wife or me, and she goes like this. She goes, die, die, die. <laughs> Darkness. I mean, it's just, it's appalling. Now, we did not teach our daughter to shout die to our guests and our friends that are doing this, but that's what she does. And it's just the sin nature that's in all of us. Listen, listen to Proverbs 19. Proverbs 4.19, sorry. Proverbs 4.19 says this. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. They do not know over what they stumble. Enter the hope. Now, some of you are going, wow, this is a depressing Christmas message. Here's the good news. Unless you get the context of the bad darkness, you don't care about the light. Until you get the weight of what you're under, the good news only is irrelevant trivia. On them, it says, a light has dawned, a great light has dawned. Matthew says here, stand up and take notice, the Savior is here. 123, we just heard this read, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. 
Long ago, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus Christ, it was predicted that he would bear a nickname, that people would have this nickname that would follow him around. And what it was was this. As he lived, as he moved, as, as he breathed and interacted with people, there was just this outbreathing of people saying, God is with us. This whispering that just says, God is right here in our midst. That's Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. So why did Jesus Christ come to earth? Why did he celebrate? Because there was darkness in the land and he's the light. If I could put it really succinctly and simply, it's this. It's because he loved us. That's why he came. Quite simply, it's because he loved us. This is why we celebrate. This is why it's such good news. The world was and is a dark place, and the light dawning is our only hope. Now let me just let you think for a minute about light and darkness. One of the great things about that is that the, the nature of light and dark that plays out every single night that, that, that we go to bed and wake up is a little living metaphor for, uh, for what we're talking about here. Here's what I'd like you to do. Maybe tonight you could go into your room, you could close your door. If you have curtains, you could draw the curtains and close those up nice and tight. And instead of turning on the light, just leave the light off in that room for a minute. Now, some of you uh, would have toes that later would be throbbing as they find the corner of your dresser, right? Some of you would find the wall with your forehead. Some of you would sit in there going, where is this item I'm looking for? Because it's pitch black in your room and you can't see it. Then, as you're struggling for this, walk over to where you know the light is and just click the light on. Here's the problem. We can sometimes lose the marvel of light, right? Because we have access to it so freely. Christian, who this is your 23rd year of celebrating a Christian, a, a, a Christmas as a Christian. It's possible to be flippant about walking in to Christmas season, clicking on a light without even thinking twice about it. Without even really stopping and being thankful for it. Because we're just so used to it being there. My invitation to you is this. Slow down, get away, whatever it takes to be thankful for that light switch, to be thankful that the light has dawned, do it. Don't let this Christmas season go by without that. One of the things that's interesting is, I think a universal fear, I haven't been everywhere in the world, but I've been a few places, and I think a universal fear, especially amongst kids, is a fear of the dark. And one of the coolest things to have as a kid is a flashlight. And I love going camping and having a flashlight. And the nature of light and dark is this. Do you notice that light being turned on in a dark room always wins out over the darkness? Every single time. There's no such thing as a flash dark, right? You can't turn on a unit that somehow comes in and pours darkness into a light room. Isn't that a beautiful picture that people live in darkness and a great light has dawned on them and it's Jesus Christ that leads them out of the dark and the light always wins out every time. Watch for it instantly tonight when you click on your light. The light will overcome the darkness every single time. That's the beauty of it and that's a little living metaphor for us. It gets even better than this. Jesus declares this about himself in John chapter 8. He has seven I am statements that are kind of famous. They're like big billboards as you're driving along the highway of life. And he says, I am this, I am this. And he says these things throughout his ministry. One of my favorites is this one. 
He stands up and he says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If I could put the gospel in a single verse succinctly tonight, that would be it right there. There it is. The wicked walk around in such deep darkness, they don't even know what they're stumbling over. Some of you in this room have struggled for years. You don't even know what your problem is. You know there's a problem. You know other people have problems. But you keep banging your toe over the same thing. Mad at yourself that you can't figure it out. Here comes Jesus saying that I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He makes a distinction that there is light and dark, that the world is a dark place, and that he is the hope. He also gives some exclusivity to this. He says, I am the light of the world. He doesn't leave it open to many options. He says it very plainly that he is the way. And finally, he adds the idea that visibility comes from following him. That to try and guide ourselves, to try and produce light ourselves somehow, is a frivolous exercise. To follow him is to turn from the dark and trust completely in what is in him. The removal of sin, the restored relationship with God, and eternal life. Listen to 1 John chapter 3. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sins. Why did Jesus come? Because there was darkness. Why did he come? Because he loved us so much that he wanted to come and remove the sin from our life. I want to invite the band up right now, and they're going to sing a song called The Night Before Christmas. And it has nothing to do with a poem that you might be familiar with by a similar title. I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song and the condition about which it talks about. Central to the hope of every Christian is this, the historic, miraculous birth of Jesus Christ as the Scriptures lay it out. That's central to our hope. You'll hear Christians talk often about the cross and the resurrection, also central to our hope. But the incarnation, God in the flesh dwelling amongst us, is everything to a Christian. It shows it's not us reaching up to God as if we could somehow bridge the chasm, but rather it's God reaching down to us and bridging the chasm that we could never hope to bridge. Just before the band sings, listen to Galatians chapter 4. But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that He could adopt us as His very own children. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are His child, everything He has belongs to you. So I wonder about you tonight. Um, if you were to come across Jesus Christ in the flesh, walking around the earth, what would you be confronted with? What would He say to you? I don't know the answer to that, of course, but I can speculate a, a general trend. Here's what, here's what we read earlier from Matthew 4:17 from that time Jesus began to preach saying here was the central message repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand now not only was he the light of the world that came on the scene 
But later on, he actually calls his disciples. He looks at those who've put their trust in him and are following him and are now walking in the light. Here's what he says. You, Christian, you, Jesus' disciple, are the light of the world. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means to walk in the light, and it means to then go and be a light to other people. Some of you have experienced this firsthand, that light draws people to yourself. If you're on a dark path, a light is something that people are actually drawn to and want to know more about. Some of you have come across, come across Christians that you're drawn to. You want to sidle up to them in life. You don't believe in their God. You don't believe in their practices, perhaps. But there's something about them that's attractive. Some of you have been around Christians who take a spotlight and have jammed it in your face and have repelled you. There's different ways to hold the light of Christ, I suppose. But here's what I do know. Tonight, with no giant emotional fanfare or any of that except for in heaven, tonight could be a night where your own personal dawning on your own darkness can take place. And it's as simple as repenting, which means to turn from your sin and toward God, and trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now that's something so simple that literally every children, every child in this room can understand that and grasp that. If that's something that you want to do in your life, here's my encouragement to you. I'm a pastor, so I get paid to say, come and talk to me. But there are many in this room who would love to talk to you and share with you um, more about that. Tell someone about your decision. Just come and say, you know what? I've committed my life to Christ. Uh, I'd love to f- figure out what it means to be the light of the world, like, like, like Jesus said. This is a church that I don't know if you go to church normally, but if you don't have a church home, we have a saying here at Neighborhood Bible Church that we guard um, pretty ferociously, and that is this. We say, come as you are. Don't make the mistake of needing to get cleaned up with some ritual or some good behavior or a decent track record with your struggling temptations and then show up to God. Rather, show up exactly as you are and God will change you from the inside out and he will allow his light to shine in your life. So we say, come as you are, but don't stay that way. Every single Sunday at 10.30, we're here in this room, except evidently on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. Uh, But most Sundays, I should say, we're here at 10.30 and... um, and you will be in the midst of friends who are, who are walking this, uh, this life's road with you. So let me pray. We'll close with a song or two and then dismiss. Jesus, we thank you for uh, the picture of light that we get to see every single morning that we wake up. We see the faithfulness of a rising sun and we recognize afresh that your mercies are new every morning. We recognize that the warmth and the light that that provides is a picture of your faithfulness. And tonight, we look forward, even as we look back to your first coming, we look forward to that day when there's going to be a dawning on this darkness that we dwell in right now. And everything we see that's set apart, that's broken, that needs healing and restoration, is going to be fixed by the one who has the authority to do it, and that's you, King Jesus, as you come back. We look forward to that day. We lean into that and want that to arrive quickly, God. In the meantime, while you have us here, we pray that you would find us faithful, that you would find us worshiping and honoring you, not just with singing, not just on holy days, but God, every single day of the year in all that we do to keep you first and foremost in our lives. We thank you for the grace of opening our eyes, of warming our hearts to the truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen.